Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zetner Geology Podcast, Episode 108, Downtown Baja, B.C. Thanks for listening. Well, as promised, dear listener, this is the last of four downtown radio episodes. And without having to repeat myself all over again, and I don't want to trouble you with all of that, let me just do a quick reminder that I've been talking about the downtown live lectures that are happening at the end of this month, March of 2023, starting Wednesday night, March 29th, and then the 30th, and then the 31st, and the final of the four nights in a row will be Saturday night, April 1st, 2023, where Morgan Performing Arts Center in downtown Ellensburg, Washington on First Avenue. It's the Morgan Middle School, but it's a fancy name for the auditorium portion, which has about a 720 seats. So this is the last of those brainstorming sessions. I have made some progress, uh, but I'm still not quite there. And I think I'm up to about 300 emails from many of you. So I can't thank you enough for taking the time to reply And as I do with many of these kinds of things, I kind of look for commonalities. Like if, if I'm teaching 101 and I get the same question quarter after quarter after quarter, in other words, the students change, but I keep getting the same questions and I go, well, that's, that's a natural thing. I might as well follow up on that. People are just generally interested. Or in the case of some public videos, if I have the same kinds of comments over and over and over again, if they're curious about one particular thing, I like to follow up on that. It's just a, it's just a, uh, it's not a very scientific way of figuring out what people are interested in, but maybe it is if you really think about it. So I'm hearing some of the same comments from you by email about suggestions on what I might want to do with those four new lectures coming. And one final reminder, I'm, I'm trying to boil down many, many episodes that I've done on YouTube, both in the field and with live guests. Uh, and I'm trying to boil all that stuff down to a greatest hits, basically boil it down to four hours of content. And like I say, I, I think I have some general ideas, and I've been starting to organize slides and animations, and I've started to practice drawing some things just on scrap pieces of paper that I know that I'll be doing on a chalkboard at the end of the month. But there's there's still a ways to go. So yes, if you feel like you have time, you're like, I'm not going to email the guy. He's already been he's already heard from 300 people. He's got plenty. Yeah, you're probably right. But a few of you might have uh, a couple additional thoughts that might help. And then it's up to me. Then it's just up to me to deliver that. And you're like, okay, well, after hearing these radio episodes on the Downtown Live lectures, I guess now I am curious what the guy's actually going to end up doing, uh, what, what he's going to end up doing. Uh, but I'm not going to drive to Ellensburg, or I'm not going to fly into Washington to go to those. And that's totally fine. So I will have these four Downtown Lectures recorded, filmed. Uh, pretty sure they're not going to be live streamed, but I'm going to have them recorded. And I'll get the files after the guy edits them. And uh, I'll put I'll put them on my YouTube channel in April. And as I mentioned in the last show, I'm 
almost sure that I'm going to have four standalone lectures. I'm not going to have them flow together necessarily. And so, um, yeah, there'll be four exotic terrain lectures coming uh, coming your way in April of 2023, and hope, hopefully you'll enjoy those if you if you find them. And that that's the beauty of YouTube. They will they will stay there for years. Some of those downtown lectures continue to have movement, continue to have flurries of activity, and I get emails from people discovering them for the first time, you know, five years, ten years after the fact. Uh, and I, I think, you know, I have been thinking about this. I, I do think of all the formats I've been playing with, including this format, I do think the one that is shared the most and therefore continues to kind of garner attention and enthusiasm from people that are new to me, I think it is those downtown lectures. And I didn't really totally have that, especially since I've been kind of intoxicated by all this live audience stuff and all these series and everything. That's been fun for me personally, but I think if I'm really just approaching this from the format that seems to work for the widest audience. And and I do read all those comments, you know, that are right down below the lecture. And I mean, if you do that, if you go to Flood Basalts of the Pacific Northwest, that was a downtown lecture, or Ancient Rivers of the Pacific Northwest, or Great Earthquakes of the Pacific Northwest, or Super Volcanoes of the Pacific Northwest. Whoops, I think I'm just giving away what how I'm going to title some of these new ones. If you go to those comments, it's different than the folks in the live crowd. I think I'm realizing that um, recently for the first time. There's a lot of, I never went to college, I'm an auto mechanic, I like learning new things, and this guy with the chalkboard is, is doing some things that hold my attention, or something like that. I don't really get that with the, with the hardcore viewers of the field videos or the, or the live streams. And one more preamble, and then we'll get into today's episode. I continue to say to anybody who kind of intersects my orbit as far as collaboration is concerned. I'll be vague about that for now, but there's a few things in the works. If they kind of intersect my world and then they start talking about collaborating and they start talking about why I'm doing this and what I've learned and all that, Quite often they are surprised, maybe even start shaking their head, no, 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 aggressively, <laughs> when I say, I'm not trying to please the audience. When I, when I first started doing this stuff with Tom Foster and Two Minute Geology a decade ago, Tom in particular was hyper aware of the view numbers and there were active discussions about who are we making these videos for? And I bet you if we make these and then we send them to teachers, dot, dot, dot. In other words, Tom's whole approach was, I want to do this and I want to guess who the audience is and want to make it specifically for the audience. Pretty quickly, I realized that was wasted energy. And I know that may sound strange to you, but... I'm in this for the long haul. I enjoy it still just as much, maybe even more than when I started doing video type stuff 10, 15 years ago. 
And I think in part, I continue to enjoy it because I'm not trying to please anybody except myself. And I figure that if it pleases me and if it makes sense for my brain and it, it, it uses a little bit of new technology along the way, if it's good enough for me, I think it's going to be good enough to be out there. And, and it, a lot of people do respond. So I, I think that general principle of kind of pleasing myself to keep my interest going is the way to go. And I, and I do think if I'm continuing to try to please a particular narrow audience, that that's just a doomed approach. A, you'll probably never satisfy the audience you're trying to satisfy, and B, aren't you going to get bored? You're not you're not pleasing yourself. You're just trying to please this. You're trying to tap dance for this certain audience that's out there. So, yeah, I wasn't planning on saying all that, but that's what that's what came out of my mouth. Okay, so at the nine minute mark, let's talk about this last of the four downtown radio episodes. And I've already talked uh, right at the beginning of the new year, uh, New Year's Eve, very late December. I was talking about the first half of the Baja BC A to Z live stream series, which started in mid-November of 2022 and wrapped up last month just a couple weeks ago, in February, mid-February of 2023. I've already made comments about the Nanaimo guys in particular. There were four of the letters before Christmas uh, in the series that we're talking about tied to the Nanaimo. So I don't think I want to do that again, even though that was a highlight, and I did enjoy those Canadian geologists, Jerome Lessman, Danny Coots, and Will Matthews. But I'll let those episodes a few numbers back uh, speak for themselves. I think I want to talk about the rest of the alphabet that I just completed. Again, you know how much of this is going to show up in a couple of weeks with these live lectures. Okay, you, you know that. Uh, maybe comment a little bit more about what happened before Christmas, but most of the, the remaining 20 minutes with you here today will be devoted to what was happening in January and early February of the most recent series. So if we go back to the beginning in, in mid-November, the first three letters of this Baja BC A to Z live stream series was devoted to kind of setting up some bookends. And I liked how tidy it was. Episode A was celebrating the 50th anniversary of the first paper on Baja BC, written by Merle Beck, longtime Western Washington University geology professor, geophysicist, and his graduate student at the time, one of his first graduate students, Linda Nosen. And then letter B was looking at a seminal paper in the Baja BC discussion celebrating the 25th anniversary of it, Daryl Cowan, and his crucial tests paper. And then a new paper was session C, with Basil Tickoff, who I've already talked about. Basil Tickoff and Bernie Hausen writing a brand new paper. So 50th anniversary, 25th anniversary, and then basically a new paper. I liked how we did that. So I tried to get Merle Beck to be the first guest. And I visited him this past summer, filmed an interview with him. 
his health was declining. He was in an assisted living place, but we shot the uh, interview in the backyard, the back courtyard area, which had a couple other guests walking around. Um, But it went well, and I knew then that Merle was probably not going to be with us many years to come, so I was happy that I came and and did that second interview with him. And then I, if you haven't heard, I'm sorry to report that Merle was watching every one of the letters. He watched the first one, even though I couldn't talk him into, he just wasn't up to it. He just wasn't strong enough and wasn't confident enough with, even if he had someone doing the iPad and doing anything else, he thought he would still just kind of be confused with what was going on if he was the guest. So he said, why don't you get Linda Nosen to be the guest? So I tracked her down through Merle. She said no initially. And then I finally kind of convinced her after, I guess I had her watch a few of the Alphabet series from the past. And she's like, okay, maybe I can do this. This guy seems harmless enough. And so I couldn't get Merle to be the guest, but Linda Nosen was thinking back on those first attempts to talk about Baja BC. And if you don't know what Baja BC is, I'm sorry, you've, you've got work to do. I, I can't I can't get into the basics of that. We've talked about Baja BC uh, a fair amount here. And it's the concept of, of taking crust that was originally in Mexico and sending it north between 85 and 55 million years ago and having it eventually get up here in northern Washington and British Columbia, Baja BC. So that went well. We didn't get into the gory detail of the work with uh, the original concepts of Baja BC, but Linda did her best. She went on to other things in her career, so she was just really thinking back to what it was like 50 years ago. And Daryl Cowan was the guest in the second show, and he was by now he's, he's a familiar guest, and that was an easy show. And then Basil's a very familiar guest, and that was a, an easy show as well. So those first three letters were just setting the tone for all this, and it was talking about the sociology of this and how these geologists have never really been able to convince most of the geology community that Baja BC is a thing. So even though I don't typically get into the sociology of things, I thought it was important for this particular series. And then we got into the Nanaimo stuff, which I've already talked about. And then before Christmas, there were sessions uh, I, J, K, and L that were dealing with the North Cascades of Washington, dealing with the Coast Range uh, batholith in British Columbia, and I had a guest like Margie Rusmore and Robinson Cecil and Bob Miller and Stacia Gordon and Kirsten Sauer and Aaron Donaghy. And that worked, but I think the main message from those shows is that I thought I would be doing a lot with the North Cascades of Washington looking for major faults that could produce significant amounts of northward movement during Baja BC time. And I kept hearing directly and indirectly, I don't think these faults are here. I don't think there are these hidden faults that have a thousand kilometers or 2000 kilometers of northward transport. 
And so by the time we broke for Christmas, and I was cramming a bunch of episodes in because I wanted to take a two-week holiday with my family. Uh, we were doing three shows a week, Wednesdays at Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific, and then both Saturday and Sunday I was doing these 9 o'clock shows. So I think the audience, especially as the holidays were happening, it's a busy time for many families. I think I maybe lost some folks for good right in there cause just because I was doing a lot in a short amount of time. But it's the darkest time of the year. There's nothing going on here. My wife was still teaching. I was done with final exams. So I just wanted to just keep keep at it. But I realized, and I think I was saying it to the audience as we were breaking for Christmas, I think we're going to have to start looking east. I think we need to leave the North Cascades. I think we need to leave the Coast Plutonic Complex. And all indications are we're going to have to go quite a ways east, maybe a surprising distance east and inland to, to, think, to look for these major faults if they exist to move large sections of Western North America to the north. Okay, after the holiday break, uh, how did that work? I got an email from Merle Beck's daughter maybe the day before we resumed after the holidays. I think that's how that worked. And she said, well, you know, my dad had a, f I don't know, should I tell you the whole thing? I I, I guess not. Maybe I'll save that for another episode. But anyway, Merle Beck was involved in every episode, was actively watching in his uh, rehab facility. He had fallen and broken his hip, um, but he was very engaged and still quite lucid. And then uh, right after Christmas, things went downhill, and he did pass away the first week of January. So, gosh, my, my main thought was I... I waited until January to get into the details of the paleomagnetic work with this series, which is the, the core of the whole discussion. And I, I waited too long for Merle to see those episodes. And I had lined up uh, Bernie Hausen for two episodes, which was Merle's suggestion. So Bernie Hausen was a guest for, for two of the shows to get into the basics of how paleomagnetism worked. And then I had co-workers of Ted Irving, who was the the main guy on the BC side that was a um, same vintage and same standing as Merle Beck, a guy named Ted Irving. So I had Jane Wynn on for an episode. I had Randy Inken on for an episode. Um, I, I, I had major Baja BC episodes, not only being nostalgic about the days in those labs, but how those guys collected their data. I'd met Jane and Randy for the first time. They were excellent guests. And we got many of our paleomagnetism questions answered, mostly from Jane and Randy. So part of me is still bothered that Merle didn't get a chance to see those episodes. But I mean, come on, what, what can you do? What can you do? Okay, um, the rest of the alphabet was after the paleomag was discussed and we got into the tectonic models that I almost certainly will highlight in a couple of weeks at the end of the month. And I wasn't planning on doing this, but the work primarily with Randy Inken, who said, Randy Inken said, I, I worked my butt off 
with Jane Wynn and Stephen Johnston up at a place called the Carmax Volcanics up in Yukon. And that remains one of the most important paleomagnetic sites in all of Western North America. It's important because of the strange paleomagnetic signatures that those rocks record. The rocks are surprisingly young, 70 million years old, those lavas cooled. And those 70 million year old lavas record 2,000 kilometers of northward motion. And they're so far east, if you look at a map and you find the Carmax Volcanics, we are so far east within the mountain west of North America, if you can follow me, that requires a hell of a lot of motion late in the game, quite a ways inland. And suddenly, thinking carefully about the North Cascades and the Coast Plutonic Complex in Washington and coastal British Columbia, it almost felt like small potatoes. And I'm still not sure if that's the way I feel about it, but the last letters of the alphabet were thinking more and more about more and more chunks of Western North America moving as Baja BC. It wasn't just a coastal sliver. It was a substantial, basically it's stuff... Everything west of the Rocky Mountains is moving north. And depending on who you talk to, even parts of the Rocky Mountains are moving north. So things got wild in a hurry, and those viewers that were able to stick with us to the end of the alphabet, I think, were handsomely rewarded. I know that I was. But it was about as serious as we, as we get, and as about as deep as we get. And... I think I've mentioned here that I'm probably done for quite some time after these live lectures making major programs on exotic terrains because I think I've gotten to where I wanted to go without even knowing it. But I think I've gotten, I've poked and prodded enough to now have quite a substantial feel for, for what we know and what we don't know about exotic terrains in the American West, in North America. I feel good about that. Well, why would I feel good? Well, the, the, the lineup, if you're at all familiar with this literature, I have to say it, it's quite impressive. I had Robert Hildebrand on for two shows. I had Stephen Johnston on for two shows. I had Basil Tickoff back. I had Karin Siglock and Mitch Mahalanuk on. And these are all big names with big models and some of those models agree, some of the models do not. And by the time I got to the last two letters in the alphabet, I had everybody on screen together. Session Y was the Nanaimo guys, Danny Coots and Will Matthews, on screen with Mitch Mahalanuk. And they had not collaborated at all in print and very little otherwise. And here they are with me, bouncing ideas back and forth. It was a very ballsy thing to do, to be honest. Ballsy for them and ballsy for me. I'm sorry for that language if that offends you, but very brave to agree to come on and not be blindsided by the host, number one, not to be embarrassed. I think most people, regardless of their experience, have that fear that they're going to go to some sort of event and then 
get humiliated. But my job was to set the tone, and I'd been setting the tone not only with this alphabet series, but the previous two. And some of those geologists had been watching. And that goes back to what I said here in the radio episode last time. New ground for me was the fact that the geologists were watching. They were talking to each other. Just privately, it became clear. And in some cases, were actively planning on doing work together because of the alphabet series. Now, I don't mean to toot my horn too much here. But on days when I'm feeling particularly good about myself and what I can contribute, that's maybe the main thing that I can contribute. I'm not holding a Penrose conference that costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and getting everybody to come physically to a spot and, and have all these detailed conversations in a workshop format. I'm doing it for free on YouTube with thousands of people watching. And is that the future of some of this? I don't know. I'm just following my instincts. But there are moments, especially those last couple episodes where I never said it out loud, but kind of privately to myself and maybe a couple other people privately, I said, nobody's doing what I'm doing. And it's, it's potentially significant in how you can take something like the Baja BC controversy, which has limped along for 50 years, never had a significant voice, never had momentum, it felt like. And for most of the geologists in the geological community, assumed was dead, assumed was old news. Nobody was even talking about it anymore. And here I am with this folksy format with whales made out of bread and mega whales made out of bread and bijou cardboard cutouts and and yet I'm, I'm kind of accelerating the progress. Okay, now I am, it's official. I am feeling myself too much here this afternoon. I don't know. I just feel like I need to say it, I guess. And I also feel like I want to say this, and then I think I'll go back with the remaining few minutes and talk about the three models just to give you a little bit more geology. Once I'm done with these four live lectures, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about Ice Age floods 100% this spring, and I'm looking forward to that. But I am going to the Geological Society of America section meeting in Reno, Nevada, and there will be a major session devoted to all these concepts involving Baja BC. And many of the people I'm talking about in today's episode who were with me on the YouTube channel will be at the conference. They're all PhDs, they're all research scientists, they have varied backgrounds, but they're well respected in the community. I fully expect, dear listener, I fully expect to attend and to really have no mention of this Baja BC YouTube series at that conference. And you're like, wow, I, I'm confused. I thought you just said you're doing something that nobody's ever done and that it, it feels satisfying to you. That's true. But I, this is not my first year in academia. And I know that if you do things unusually and off the board, it, it's like it never happened. And I'm prepared for that. I'm totally prepared for that. And I'm totally fine with that. 
I don't need that kind of recognition among that group. So a few will come up and say hi and shake hands, and that's about it. But I'll just be there to learn more geology. I know that I'm, I'm off the radar for many people in those, in those communities, and even if they were thoroughly into the YouTube thing, it won't be brought up in this format. I don't know why I'm sharing that. That's weird. Speaking of sociology. Okay, let's finish by highlighting the three tectonic models that were thought about carefully, and there's still much more thinking to go. The ribbonistas, as I called them, the ribbon continent modelers were Bob Hildebrand and Stephen Johnston, and they've never published together. And Johnston got out of the game, well, that's a whole other story, but got out of the game rather abruptly 10 years ago and hasn't worked on those tectonic problems since. But, but Hildebrand has, and I know that I've talked about Hildebrand in these radio episodes before. He's the guy that I visited a year ago down in Tucson. Different personalities. I had different levels of success communicating with them in front of the audience. Uh, but they were representing this concept that everything west of the Carmax, and therefore everything west of the Tintina Fault, which if you follow the Tintina Fault south in British Columbia, it runs right into the Rocky Mountain Trench. Those Ribbon Continent guys say everything west of the Tintina moved north a substantial amount. And the strange thing is, if you follow that structure to the south into the lower 48, you're into the Rockies, and therefore you need much of the belt supergroup of western Montana to be moving, to be exotic to North America, and then to be moving 2,000 kilometers to the north. That is radical stuff to say that. Another group, which I have talked about here before, is the Karn Siglock group, where they, I came up with the phrase, fixed archipelago, where instead of these terrains coming in, these island arcs coming in off of the Pacific Ocean and adding to Western North America, the fixed archipelago group says, we have discoveries in the lower mantle where we can find ocean slabs that are folded back and forth on top of themselves. I call it ribbon candy. And because of the geometry of those fixed slabs in the lower mantle, we know that at least the insular superterrain, but perhaps there were other island arcs fixed out in that old Pacific Ocean. And to accrete those guys, we need to have North America plow into those fixed island arcs. And that requires, in some cases, westward subduction of ocean floor like the Mescalera Ocean, eastward subduction of other ocean basins in between other island arcs. And so it's not just simply a westward subduction story, as I probably reported on last year here with you. The third model was Basil Tickoff with the hit-and-run model, which I may or may not have talked about with you before here in this format. The concept is the insular superterrain slams into much of western North America Idaho and point south, and then that same stuff that hit 100 million years ago is the stuff that went north between 85 and 55 million years ago. But Basil doesn't want that motion to happen so far inland as to getting to the Tintina. He wants that structure being in the Sierra Nevada range, up through Nevada, and to the western Idaho shear zone. 
and then potentially following that up into central British Columbia, places like Churn Creek. So that last episode was the highlight for me, and I had Stephen Johnson representing the ribbon candy model, sorry, the ribbon continent model, Karen Siglock representing, from France, representing the fixed archipelago model, and Basil Tickoff representing the hit-and-run model. And then there was me, so we had four, four, four heads on screen. I did a little bit on the chalkboard just to get some things going, mostly with Karin's model, and then we just bounced things out. And I, I tried to get those guys to basically just talk to each other. And I act, acted as a moderator for the most part. Yes, we had live question and answer in each of those sessions as well. But to me, my main contribution was the tone, was setting the tone that this was an open, inclusive place we were all celebrating ideas as opposed to trying to disprove the other person. And Johnston said that in particular during the show. He said, this is different than what has happened so far. What has happened so far is all this energy to disprove the other, the other person. We're not into that anymore. We're trying to find commonality. And one of the disagreements that came up, because I love the Karin Siglock work with Mitch Mahalanek, one of the differences is, Basil and Johnston have this massive accretion event a hundred million years ago in the mid-Cretaceous. But Karn and Mitch taking those slabs in the lower mantle and getting them back up to the surface using a steady sinking rate of 10 millimeters per year. If you go back in time and you back calculate, there's like 40 million years of time difference between the fixed archipelago group when things are hitting and Basil and Johnston, who are field mappers in the Canadian Rockies, the lower 48 Rockies, as well as the Sierra, Nevada of California. And so those kinds of discussions showed some of these natural disagreements between these groups. But there wasn't the huffing and puffing and the throwing of objects and everything else. So... I know in previous radio episodes with the downtown brainstorming sessions, I wondered out loud if I should get into the people thing. I think I've decided, no, I've heard from enough of you, like the geology is what's important. Plus, I don't know how you would just involve some people just really briefly without boring everybody. Nobody said that, but I think it's be hard to get into these personalities of the sciences uh, in these episodes. So if I do a little bit of personality stuff with Merle, who passed away, and Daryl Cowan, perhaps, and maybe Karen a little bit, those are naturally outstanding stories that need to be mentioned briefly. But otherwise, I'm going to stick to my guns, and at least two of the four, I think, are going to be firmly in what I'm talking about today, those tectonic models. And I will continue to try to plug the North Cascades details here in Washington into this wider story. And maybe that's what I'll do, and maybe that's what I will not do if I happen to hear from you. One last time, my email address, if you're interested in contacting me and providing your thoughts, it can just be a couple sentences, or some people have done maybe a couple paragraphs. It's all been very helpful and just fun to hear from you all, and I try to reply to everybody. My email address is nick, N-I-C-K, at 
geology.cwu.edu. I could have done much more with summarizing the Baja BC A to Z live stream series, but to me, those were the highlights that, that bubbled up. Um, and if you're listening to this and you were part of that Baja s- series and I didn't mention you, I'm sorry. Um, but otherwise, I think I've done it. I think I've gotten to the four downtown episodes. I will put these lectures together. And I'm not sure the next time I'm going to check in with you, dear listener. Uh, I'm on to the Ice Age floods. And it might be April by the time I get back to you. But regardless, I thank you for listening to this one. I love you. And goodbye from Ellensburg, Washington. USA.